Hey everybody, welcome to the Useless Knowledge Podcast, the podcast that reminds you that all knowledge is useless unless you apply it. On this podcast, we will discuss economics, education, business, real estate investing, politics, relationships, and a lot more. Go ahead and like and subscribe to the podcast. Enjoy the show. Free labor and the NCAA, part two, amateurism and collusion. Hey, what's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning in today. Got another great topic. We're going forward with part two, looking at free labor and the NCAA. Uh, Do me a favor real quick. Go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. Uh, Let's go ahead and get started, man. I'm excited about today. I think we are looking into some very interesting, intriguing topics. You can really take a lot of time to discuss them, but I'm going to try to uh, hit the highlights and move pretty quickly through this. But looking at a few things, looking at the relationship between the NBA, NFL, NCAA, and then how uh, the MLB uh, and the NCAA, how that relationship is different. And so we see uh, really potential collusion. Uh, but before we get to that, I think it's important to understand a little bit more about the framework and the foundation that the NCAA is actually built on. And so to do that, you have to understand a little bit about amateurism. And so amateurism has a, a pretty interesting uh, and not, you know, not so pretty, honestly, history here in our country. But just to look specifically at what the NCAA puts in their bylaws, the NCAA bylaw number 12 basically lay, lays out some regulations in these bylaws with how the rules are shaped for uh, amateur collegiate athletics and how institutions are supposed to manage them. You know, these rules are basically, they create a lot of current controversy. They create, you know, how much financial compensation a student can receive or be entitled to. You know, these guidelines are, like I said, literally in the manual. I want to give you a few of these clips of what's in the NCAA uh, manual. And so, Athletes will be uh, stripped of their amateur status and, you know, basically can't participate in NCAA sports if they receive any payment for their athletic skills. Uh, The physical appearance and name and pictures of student athletes can be used by the institution that he or she attends for both charitable and educational purposes. And as long as there are items that don't single out one particular athlete's name or one particular athlete's physical likeness, they can be sold by the institution or uh, groups that have a relationship with that institution. Items containing one student athlete can only be used for informational purposes. And so, uh, you know, they they do have a little bit of framework, but the the institutions have a lot of flexibility to use that name. And a term you'll hear a lot is likeness. And so, uh, that likeness is basically, you know, similar image. But when we think about sports, a lot of times we, we equate players to jersey numbers. And so players typically wear a number. Uh, that's where that likeness comes on. You know, a lot of the video games in the past, you remember, uh, you know, they, they look pretty much like the person all the way down to their hairstyle and physical features. But, uh, you know, that the schools, the institutions are allowed, even the NCAA is allowed to use that uh, in order to generate you know, additional revenue for charitable or educational purposes. And so kind of going forward, some other interesting things in the bylaws to to look at and be aware of, you know, a student athletes will lose their ability to participate in NCAA sporting events if they're discovered to be receiving payment through commercial advertisement, promotion or endorsement. So basically you can't use, uh, you know, your likeness, you can't use your own name. You can't do anything to, to make money, um, 
at all, advertising, promotion, or endorsement, clearly spelled out. The names and pictures of the student athletes are to be made both aware and requested for use before they're utilized by a student athlete or institution. It is the responsibility of both the student athlete and the institution to make sure that this requirement is followed. So basically, another cool thing NCAA does is they put the onus on the individuals, which are the, the college students, um, you know, 17 to 24, 25, however you fall in that range, um, and the schools to kind of police themselves. A lot of times when things come up, they come up down the road, and the NCAA will go back and retroactively uh, put some punishments in place once they do find out uh, in the future, however far in the future that is. And so you see a lot of things. The institutions have a lot more flexibility to basically use their student athletes uh, likeness to make money where the student athlete doesn't have any room to do that. So you see a little bit about how the NCAA looks at and approaches this this idea of amateurism. But let's take a little further step back and look at a little bit more about the history of amateurism. And so uh, going way back, like I, I kind of hinted at this, the, the history of this was not always pretty, kind of its origins. But initially, you know, the word amateur derives from the Latin word amateur or lover in a sense, uh, basically meaning that you love what you do. Uh, you're, you're, this is a pursuit that is not for money, but for love. And so that's what the, the root of that is. Oxford Dictionary kind of defines this as one who cultivates anything as a pastime as distinguished from one who uh, pursues something professionally. And so that's how it's defined. But look back initially here in our country, 19th century, you know, this was seen as a basically a luxury of the middle class, upper class. And so uh, race was a was a factor in who participated in these various amateur sports. Class was a big factor in who participated in these uh, amateur sports. And so a lot of times you would have to you're playing for free. You're spending a lot of a decent amount of time doing these activities. You would have to be able to afford to not be working, um, you know, so that was implied. But some cases it went even further than the implication. Uh, 1878, uh, Henley Regatta declared basically that no person shall be considered an amateur uh, oarsman or sculler who has been by trade or employment for wages. And so basically, if you work for a wage uh, as a mechanic, artisan or a laborer, you were you were not allowed to participate uh, in some of these water water sports. And so you kind of see how this this kind of originated early on. And there are some other things that we could see uh, as we go forward as to, you know, why other people uh, race wise, class wise were, were allowed to begin to play going forward. And a lot of that is tied to uh, the increases in revenue. But kind of seeing a little bit about the origin of the box that college athletes start in. And so they're basically boxed in. They cannot profit any way off their name, their likeness, their, you know, anything of any of their ability that is stripped of them in return for the opportunity to play uh, college sports. And so we see kind of the evolution of amateurism kind of started, you know, only as a thing for middle class, upper class individuals. Uh, largely because just you had to have the time you had to afford to not be working um, in order to go out and take part in uh, this type of hobby to to spend this much time playing a sport. And so you kind of get a feel for that. And so that is the that's the kind of stage where these these athletes are the box they're put in. They're amateurs. They cannot make money. They are basically 
um, you know, whatever they came into school with, you know, whether they come from money or whatever they come from, that is basically what they can work with outside of whatever that education, uh, you know, and, and these, and so these scholarships, they'll typically include, you know, your food, your room and board, your books, um, other miscellaneous, basically everything you need to be a student will be provided, um, you know, by your scholarship at varying levels, depending on, you know, how big of an institution you go to. So, uh, you know, a student athlete, football player at LSU uh, on scholarship would have a better situation than, say, a girls basketball player or a men's wrestler at uh, Presbyterian College. And so you kind of see varying levels of taking care of. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, you're not able to actually profit or get ahead or make any money with uh, while playing college sports, NCAA sports, because of amateurism. And so I think kind of understanding that it's time to take that next step and look at how this works between, say, the NFL, NBA, and MLB, because there are some very interesting uh, things that that become immediately apparent. One, I think the first thing that jumps to mind is that a high school student can go directly to Major League Baseball and, you know, should it not work out or should they decide no longer to play, they can still come back and participate in college sports. And so that's one huge discrepancy, a little bit of hypocrisy there. But that's one major glaring thing that jumps out to mind. And then from there, we can look at the fact that uh, NFL requires you to be three years out of high school in order to participate in the NFL. Uh NBA, they basically require, they've gone back and forth. They currently require you to be one year out of high school before you can participate uh, in their league. And so you kind of see a little bit of a, a varying in the methodology in which they approach the different sports. And so, uh, you know, that could also be seen as a, a race and a class thing, because uh, when you look here specifically in the United States, when you're looking at baseball specifically, you have a lower percentage of minorities uh, playing that sport compared to any other sport, but specifically football and basketball. And so it, it, you know, if you're just looking at it on the surface, there is no, in my opinion, good explanation for why these, why these leagues are different, but uh, football, you kind of look at this um, when we get to talking about, I mean, it's not a light, word to throw around but you talk about collusion and so here in america we are constantly talking about the thought of a free market economy that you know everybody out here is just a bunch of profit maximizers doing the best they can to better themselves their organizations make the most money they can and so it would make sense that um the nfl specifically let's just look at the nfl if you talk to coaches players teams specifically i think that they would want to uh, go ahead and bring in the best players, uh, get them on their team, even if they're not going to play them right away. You're not going to keep a, you know, you're not going to have 15, 20, 18 year olds on your team. But, you know, if you could get three or five of the best up and coming players, go ahead and get them on your team. Think about a Leonard Fournette that came out of LSU, went to the NFL. Think about getting him right out of high school. and He doesn't go to LSU and take, you know, nearly a thousand carries a lot of punishment a lot of wear and tear uh on his body basically for free before he's able to get to the nfl and actually make some money and you know that all those carries in college all that beating that he takes in college lowers his value and so that seems counterproductive uh for the nfl from a you know free market profit maximizing 
type mindset. And so you have to look at what, okay, what are the benefits for the NFL to do this, to even consider this? The NFL is able to really operate and they're unique in this, that they don't have a farm league system or a minor league system that uh, brings in and invest in players to make sure that uh, they continue will have a group of quality players to make sure that they have a quality product. And so the NFL, at the end of the day, with any business, any product is only as good as, you know, the, the components of that product. And so if you don't have good players, if you don't have the best players, your product is going to get worse and worse. And so I think in the NFL specifically, the best place that this shows up is the quarterback position. And so you've got um, 32 teams. You don't have 32 really, really good quarterbacks. And so you see a huge uh, variance among the best quarterbacks and the worst quarterbacks more so than any other position. And so if, you know, these teams could be bringing in younger quarterbacks, teaching them earlier, working with them earlier to make sure that they had the best product, you know, but they're, they're not, they're able to get around this because, you know, they don't have to deal with their own farm league. They can basically force these kids to go to uh, college get to watch them for three years, get to, uh, you know, see how they handle things like schoolwork. While schoolwork has nothing to do with your uh, ability to play professional sports, what it does have something to do with is basically a measure of discipline. And so are you able to go to class? Are you able to turn in homework? Are you able to uh, learn and keep up with assignments and pass classes? And so that lets them know specifically that you are able to do those things for three years and give, you know, basically a track record to review in addition to what you did on the field and what your performance was like. And so they, they don't have to, NFL doesn't have to invest in a farm league at all and so they get that you look at the ncaa gets the ability that they get to have these better players and so instead of the best players going straight to, to professional sports where they would be able to make money if they had the option to go make money versus to play uh for the love of the game i think they would uh go and make money and so i think that is one of the interesting things i think anybody that uh, disputes that I think you're wrong, but I think one of my uh, favorite people to listen to, Bomani Jones, ESPN guy, but uh, he famously said that, you know, if you think getting paid in classes is so great, why don't you go to your job and ask to be paid in classes? And so that, you know, if you had the option to make money or be paid in some other form, most of the time you're going to take the money. And so I think it's fair to believe that if these individuals had the opportunity to go directly to the professional league and be paid, they would choose to do so. And so you see the kind of benefit from both sides, but uh, in in this model and the NCAA gets a lot out of this because they can turn around and they're able to profit off of these individuals' names and likeness. They have better players in their league, which means more people are watching, which means more uh, revenue for marketing and other things like TV contracts that continue to grow. And so if you know you're going to be able to have some of the best players in the world playing your sport for uh, at least three years, they got to be at least three years out of uh, college, out of high school in order to go pro. You know, you, you can count on having the best talent year in and year out. And so we talked about the benefits that the NFL sees. And so real quick, want to hit on a really a piece of the, the hypocrisy we see when we're talking about a lot of these sports leagues and how they handle high school players and, and eligibility between like MLB and other leagues. And so Guy wrote a very interesting article named Bud Elliott uh, Sports uh, was it Sports Book SB Nation was it Sports Illustrated I believe um, he wrote a very interesting article really looking at the way the barriers that are created to market entry uh, between with this whole college thing and so 
we talked about there aren't very many uh, professions to where if you are the best at something, there is a unnecessary requirement. And so, uh, for instance, if you are, you know, one of the best, most capable firefighters, they're not going to uh, prevent you from becoming a firefighter for some arbitrary reason that has nothing to do with firefighting. You know, for instance, you know, you don't own a lot more or you don't cut grass or something like that. And so that's kind of what we're seeing with uh football is that if you're unable to navigate the college world then you are oftentimes excluded from the opportunity to play professional sports but kind of staying on topic you know we looked at the uh but but uh let me make sure i'm saying this right bud elliott he he looked at a few things and kind of specifically the draft and so if you watch we just recently had the nfl draft uh last week and so you see a lot of a lot of consistent themes. And so when you see the NFL draft, you'll oftentimes see um, discussion about uh, various hardships or what it, how well they did in, in school or didn't do in school or, uh, you know, even things down to like if a father was arrested or a mother did drugs. You see a lot of this specifically with minority players that becomes like the, the story more so than their athletic ability. And so. It just seems to be very interesting, but you see a lot of talk about academics, grades, like the Wonderlick score, test scores, all this stuff when you're talking about uh, NFL. And so you look at MLB and Bud Elliott watched the MLB draft, something I can say I have not done, but uh, he watched the MLB draft and he said that the, the, the following words were never mentioned, academics, grades, qualify or test score. And, you know, the question is why? Because it has nothing to do with uh, pro, pro baseball. And so you see kind of just a little bit of the discrepancy between those two sports. I think it's important to point out uh, as we continue to have this discussion around how the NCAA operates. Because you would think that there would be some equity in how they handle pro sports and their students. And so why would you be able to go and play uh, Major League Baseball and then return to college, but you could not go play NBA basketball and return to college. And so I, I haven't heard an adequate explanation for that, but, but we'll continue going forward. I think that we outlined several of the, the, the things and reasons why one might believe or be led to think that there was some level of collusion going on between some of these sports leagues and the NCAA. You know, I can see the benefits. The, the NBA gets the benefit of having uh, these players play a year in college, go through March Madness and be household names before they come into the league which uh helps helps boost their value but i do give the nba credit in the past they have allowed uh individuals the best players to come into the nba uh straight out of high school and make money and the ncaa really fights against this by trying to you know trying to make it very punitive if you hire an agent then you can't come back to college if you uh, choose to go to the NBA, you don't work out, you can't come back to college as you can in baseball. But you see a lot of things in these high revenue generating sports where they really try to force the players to stay in their league as long as they can. I do applaud the NBA for uh, currently working on some options for players to be able to come into the developmental league earlier and make money uh, entering into the league. And so there was a there's a, a kid coming into the NBA development league this year instead of going to college and he's going to make about half a million dollars from the NBA, but he's opened up to make all these endorsements. And so he's going to sign a shoe deal uh, in the seven figures to be able to uh, play basketball in the D league, basically the G league, what it's called now. But 
you know, he's able to maximize his name and likeness, which is a strange thing to re- restrict someone from uh, from utilizing. So next week, I think we set the table. But going forward next week, we got to get into the meat of it and really start addressing the, you know, the question that everybody's always thinking about. Should the players be paid? Should the players be paid? Let's get into it next time. Part three. Thank you for listening. If you haven't already, go subscribe to the page, share with a friend. Be blessed. This has been another episode of Useless Knowledge. Like, subscribe, and share the podcast now. Also, visit the website for merchandise, show notes, or to recommend a topic. And remember, all knowledge is useless until you apply it.